nice to know because I know uh, Dorcas has not been here that much kind of through the summer just because of uncomfortableness and not feeling well, which, Monique, you're a trooper. I know how you feel the same. Well, I don't know how you feel. I can imagine I know how you feel. I'm not, not even, I misspoke. I asked for forgiveness every, every <laughs> I don't know how you feel. I've seen it, and I can imagine to a certain degree, so, so I imagine. <laughs> Moving on. I'm not going to dig a hole here. Moving on. <laughs> Well, good. Um, Hey, open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter um, 17. Um, We're going to be in chapter 17, verses 11 through, um, I believe, 19. This morning, um, this is where Jesus healed 10 lepers. And we started a a series last week that, that I titled Game of Obedience and just was talking about really us asking a reflective question this fall and that question being, what are we holding back? What are you holding back from God in regards to your relationship with God and developing that relationship? Um, could be in regards to time, how you manage time, how you use time, in regards to serving, in regards to how you love people, in regards to money, in regards to loving others. But really what it boils down to is in regards to obedience to God's word and what God's asking us to do. And the text that we're going to be using kind of as our theme is, is out of Acts chapter 5, but really through this series, what we're going to be looking at more than anything are the words of Luke, mostly the gospel of Luke, but we'll look some in the book of Acts. But Acts chapter 5 is a story of Ananias and Sapphira, and I, I just wanted to read a couple of the verses this week. I didn't read any last week, but we, we probably are, are fairly familiar with this story. The story is that everyone in the church was selling property and they were bringing the proceeds from their sale, whether it's land or homes or something else, and laying at the apostles' feet as a way to fund the mission of the church. So Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of land. Ananias sold it and they held some of the proceeds back, but they brought the money to the, to the apostles' feet and said, this is what we sold the land for. And there's a number of reasons we, we, can, we could go into that would explain why they may have had this upon their heart. We won't necessarily go into it this morning. But chapter uh, 5, verse 2, can you bring that up? It says that however he kept part of the proceeds back, or he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge, and he brought a portion of it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And so he, he kept something back. And so that's been the question that we're asking. What are we holding back in regards to obeying God's word, which then kind of has ripple effects in all areas of our life? In honest reflection, I don't always like this text here of Acts chapter 5. There's, to me, there's some problems with it. One is I've lied before and I've exaggerated. And I think all of us probably would say that, especially sometimes when it comes to God and what, what God's doing in our lives, the way that God's worked through us in some ways. Hey, I prayed for this person, and they got healed. No, you were part of the prayer meeting where they were at. But you may not have been the one that prayed for them. You know, sometimes we, we embellish some things in some ways, maybe to receive a little bit of man's glory instead of God's glory. And, and so we all put ourselves there. Second is the punishment here seems harsh for what the crime really is. And, and, and I know we see that throughout the Bible, times where there's a lot of grace shown, and other times where it doesn't seem like there's as much grace that is shown. But it points to the sovereignty of God, and God knows what he's doing. And sometimes we can have some issues with, with how God works, um, his ways being higher than our ways, and so forth. But third, if we really read this story here, if we really dive into the text here of Acts chapter 5, it really requires that we have some self-reflection. 
Now, we could read through the text. We can kind of get around the text. But when you begin to read this, and it asks the question to us the way that we're asking the reflective question, what are we holding back? We can't get past it without really looking at ourselves, without examining our own hearts. And that's what's hard and difficult at times because we don't like to always examine our own hearts. We like to examine other people's hearts. It's easy for us to look at someone and say, hey, it's them that's having a problem. They don't believe the same way I, I believe, or they don't feel this way, or they don't think this way. Thus, that's why we're having this problem or why this is happening or this is not happening. It's easier to complain about someone else. We've all done it before, right? It's easier to say, hey, it's the reason that I don't love my wife the way I need to is because she's got bad breath in the morning or, or whatever. We, we make up some excuse like that instead of taking responsibility for ourselves. And that's really what we're trying to do this fall is for us to say, okay, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Lord, what things do I need to change? Lord, what areas do I need to step out? What things do I need to allow you to cut away? What areas do I need to bring under the Lordship? What areas do I need to allow healing to take place? And it's not an easy process. It's easy just to kind of shut it down and say, well, let me point out what this person's holding back or what that person's holding back and not have to look at ourselves. Interesting that this Greek word that's used here to talk about holding back is the only time it's used in the New Testament. Now, there's another use of it. It's in the Old Testament. Let me explain. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text into Greek, which was done around the 3rd century B.C. So Greek being the the common language of, of the time of Jesus and even before, there was a translation from the original Hebrew into the Greek Joshua chapter 7, as the Israelites are going into the promised land, even before that, they go to Jericho, God delivers them, and and they have victory over Jericho, but he says, destroy everything. But yet there's one person who took some of the plunder himself, Achan. Chapter 7, they go to the city of Ai, and and, and they say, look, we don't need that many people to go with us because Ai is a small town, we'll just take two or 3,000 troops, and they get their butt kicked. And they come back, and Joshua's saying, Lord, what happened? He says, Someone has sinned. Israel has sinned. In fact, chapter 7 of Joshua, verse 1, it says, The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of of all these people, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same verb that's used in Acts chapter 5. The only two times... This Greek word is used in the whole text of the Bible. In the Hebrew, when you study a little bit deeper, it, it, it has this, this idea of breaking faith, of being unfaithful, of robbing someone of something, to be in treachery or to be a traitor at some level. Now, when I say holding back, sometimes you say, well, yeah, maybe there's some areas I'm holding back. It sounds casual. But when you put it in breaking faith, being unfaithful, being a traitor towards God, it weighs a little bit more on the seriousness of what we're talking about here. And I want us to understand that. The Israelites were unfaithful, as the text says. Acts chapter 5, as Luke says, the Ananias and Sapphira, they held back. They were unfaithful in the same ways. So what are we holding back? And I'm not implying that anyone's unfaithful, but if we think about it, there's times where we're unfaithful to God and His Word We're unfaithful to trusting Him. We're unfaithful to believing He's going to be the one to provide for us and so forth. 
Why? Why do we do this? Sometimes we don't believe God's word fully. Sometimes we don't trust his power fully. Sometimes we don't trust his character. Sometimes it points to the fact that, God, I want you to go first and do everything first before I move. It's fear. It's a lack of obedience. It's always, but God's already gone before us. We talked about this last week. He went before us. He laid everything down for us so that we may have life. I want us to understand that, that God is asking us to examine our hearts and, and ask those tough questions or that tough question. What am I holding back? Where am I being unfaithful? We don't always want to consider it that way. But there's a truth that's in that if we let the weight set on us. We come into the text here of, of Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It says, While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee, As he entered a village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So this group of men who have leprosy, it's a skin disease as we know, it's, it's, a, it's not a good skin disease. It's not one that's easily curable. Even today, I think there's a multi-drug remedy in terms of, of curing it, and it can take six months, 12 months. And I don't even think until maybe the 20th century that, that this was discovered. For the most part, if you had leprosy, you were outcast, you were separated from the community, you had leper colonies that you went to. Your life was over if you had leprosy. So these men, they see Jesus, they know something about Jesus, they've heard because all they do is cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us. They're at a distance. And Jesus stops for a moment and he begins to tell them some stuff. Actually, he only tells them one thing, which is very interesting and we'll get to that. Now again, when we talk about healing, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, you know, isn't it interesting how God chooses to heal in so many different ways? Sometimes he, he speaks a word, and the person's not even in the, in the proximity, and that person's healed. Sometimes he goes, he lays hands on them. Sometimes he spits in the mud, puts it on the eyes, tells them to go wash, and comes back. Sometimes he tells them to go wash and not to sin anymore. Sometimes he tells them to pick up their mat and walk, whatever it may be. God moves in so many different and amazing ways. And I want us to understand that because what we're going to talk about is, is that's, that's foundational and vital to understanding how much God loves and cares for us and how much we can trust him, how trustworthy he really is. So Jesus responds in verse 14. He says, when he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were healed. Now here's something interesting, and I'm going to try to explain this clearly because even in my mind it's still kind of buzzing around a little bit now leprosy i can only find two accounts in the old testament where leprosy was healed moses one time when when god's starting to talk about his power said stick your hand in your cloak and he pulls it out and it it says it's white as snow he sticks it back in and god heals him that's the divine healing account now that's a little bit different in some ways because god's showing hey i'm all powerful the second is naaman who comes from a, from a foreign land, who comes to Elijah, and, and, and he says, go wash in the river. And, and Naaman's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I could have washed in the river of Damascus. But his servants convince him, and he's healed. Now, there may be another account or two in the Old Testament, but, I, but I, I, it didn't come to mind this week. My point being is it's not very often that someone's healed of leprosy in Jesus' times and, and even the times before that. But yet, in Leviticus chapter 14, there's this whole regulation for someone who has leprosy, who's been healed of leprosy, to be brought back into the community. 
is they would go to the temple, they would show themselves to the priest, there would be a time of observation, they would show themselves to the priest again, and if there was still no, no indication of skin disease or anything, then they would give a sacrifice and they'd be brought back into the community. Here's what struck me about that is Jesus is using this regulation thousands of years later to tell these ten men, go show yourself to the priest. Thousands of years before that, written into the Old Testament law, was this provision about how to cleanse yourself or to get properly back into purification and into the community. But how many times was this used in those thousands of years? Two, three, four times, maybe. I'm not saying leprosy never was healed. But it wasn't used that often. And here's my point is, thousands of years before Jesus stood in front of these ten men or or at a distance and told them just to go show yourself, God already knew this was going to happen and he wrote it into the Old Testament law. And God, does he care for us? Someone pointed out to me this week when I was kind of talking about this. They said, Deuteronomy talks about cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Galatians 3 says, Jesus became our curse. Curse is the man who hangs on a tree or a pole. Again, thousands of years between those words, and we can look at other Old Testament prophecies and the fulfillment through Jesus, that God has written things into the Old Testament that was fulfilled when Jesus came. Thousands of years down the road. And we think, God, do you have a plan for us? God, do you understand what's going on? God, are you really sovereign? Can we trust you? Are you in control? Are you all-knowing? Are you all-powerful? Are you all wise? Reminds me a little bit of Matthew uh, chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about the birds of the air and the grass of the field. They don't worry because they know they're going to be taken care of. How much more should we worry? Sometimes I believe we are not obedient to God's word or we hold back as we're not sure if God's really going to come through this time. Sometimes we haven't had our prayer answered the way we've wanted to or we haven't even had an answer or something has happened. And we're saying, God, can I really trust you? And I want us to understand, yes, we can trust God, that he's trustworthy. That if we just pause in our own lives and we look back just a little bit, we can see where he's he's delivered us. One, he's given us eternal life when we didn't deserve it. We've seen answer prayer. We've We've seen provision. We've seen these things. Yes, there's still a struggle. There's still storms in our life. There's still things there to refine us. But yet God is trustworthy. Why would we hold back? There's a lot of reasons why we would, but why are you holding back? Are we willing to come face-to-face with those things? Here's the second thing that I think is so interesting here. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Now Luke, in his, in his writing here, shows no hesitation of these ten men. Now if it's me, and Jesus, and, 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 I, and I've come to Jesus, and he says, hey, go show yourself to the priest. They had to go to Jerusalem. They're somewhere between Galilee and Samaria, which is, is north, probably 30 miles or so from Jerusalem. It's not just an easy stroll. They can't just hop in their car and go. They're going to have to take a couple days' journey along a road. And traveling at times could be dangerous. They immediately get up the way I read it, and they, keep, they start going to Jerusalem. They're not even healed yet. At what point were they healed? Were they, were they healed after a few hundred yards, a few miles, as they became on the outskirts of Jerusalem, at what point? We don't know, but we know they were healed at some point. And here's my point is, they were obedient. And as they were obedient, the healing came. And I'm not saying that's a formula, but my point is this, that many times we stand before God and we cross our arms and say, God, why don't you heal first? Why don't you bless first? Why don't you do this first? And then I'll be obedient. 
They asked Jesus when, when he was here, hey, give us a sign. Jesus said, why? Well, we'll believe you. We'll follow you if you give us a sign. He said, I, you've got the prophets. If you didn't believe the prophets, why would you believe me if I give you a sign? Sometimes we say, God, if you just do this, then, then, then I'll give my life to you. I remember being on an airplane, got back from the Philippines one time, going back to China, and it was probably the roughest flight we ever were on. And I mean, the plane was dropping, and, and I mean, you could just hear people crying out for Jesus. And I was thinking at the end, it's like, all right, a lot of you just said, Jesus, I'll do anything. Jesus, if you just save me, I'll do anything. I'm like, what about now? Are you just going to go back to your old life because Jesus delivered you from the storm or from the predicament or whatever? That's the way we live a lot of times. Jesus, I need you right now because because my boss is is being so hard. Or or God, I need you right now because of this. Or God, I don't have enough money and and the month's still long before there's a new month. Whatever. Are we willing to be obedient regardless of whether he's answering, whether he's answering the way we want to, whether he's asking us to step out of the boat or just to wait? Are we willing to go show ourselves to the priests? Jesus says, jump, we jump. He says, go, we go. He says, whatever, and we we do it. Verse 15, it says, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. He was a Samaritan. Now here's the, the irony of the story. He's a Samaritan. He's a foreigner. You know, we've talked about this. A Samaritan was, was usually someone who was from, from northern Israel, the northern kingdom. When the Syrians came in, they began to, to intermarry. And so Samaritan was the, the product of, of maybe an Israel, a Jewish father and a Syrian wife or vice versa. And, and you can read some of the commentaries of, of the ancient Near East text, and, and there's quote-unquote mixed breed. They were, they were considered not pure on one side or the other. They were sellouts. And so the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus uses. He's using about the Samaritan lady at the well. He's, he's, he's breaking some barriers here. And again, it's the Samaritan, the one who's the scum of the earth, the one who is, is unworthy, the one that shouldn't be doing this, that's coming back to think Jesus. There's a relationship to us as sinners a lot of times. The scum of the earth, the least worthy things like that that we should be the ones coming back to jesus christians we should be the most thankful people on the face of the earth we were praising god a little bit this morning god thank you in the midst of the storm in the midst of what's going on we choose to praise you we have a million things to be thankful for just today i don't know what time you got up you got up at seven o'clock this morning to 11 or 12 11 30 right now four hours you have a million things to be thankful for but many times we focus on the one thing God's just not doing that really in the big picture is not that important necessarily. Maybe it's important to us, but to God, he's like, I got, I've got that. Don't worry about it. Are we being thankful? He goes on here in verse 17. He says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told them, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Where are the nine? All ten were healed. Where are the other nine? Only one came back who was a Samaritan, was, was not even expected. It would be okay if the nine came back. That would be good enough because he's a Samaritan. He's not supposed to come back. We, there's grace that we understand that. But Jesus flips it. It shows kind of the shallowness of, of, of the understanding the nine had of what just happened. And for a lot of Christians, it shows 
the shallowness of a relationship they have with God. So it's, God, answer my prayer. Gosh, yeah, you opened the door. You gave me a job, whatever. And then we go back until we need to come to him again. But the one, he got it. He understood. And so we have to understand what leprosy is in regards to this. Leprosy is a cruel disease. It is a very cruel disease. It affects the nervous system. usually starts with your appendages, your fingers or your toes, your nose, and, and it begins to weaken, or not weaken, it begins to deaden the nerves that you have within your hands. So you can't feel pain as it begins to work its way down. Your hands are numb. You can't feel anything. And you can smash your hand and never know it. You can burn your hand and have no idea that your hand is on fire. It's a deadening that takes place. That's the physical side of it. There's the emotional side because you are now isolated. Everything you now had in your life is gone because you're in a colony. You're isolated. You're you're quarantined so you don't spread this. So your spouse, you're never going to hug your spouse again. You're never going to see your children again. You're never going to feel their little hand rub down your face. You're never going to see them graduate from high school or, or college. You're never going to be there with, for their dance recitals or, or for their ball games. You're never going to be able to bear your parents or, or siblings or, or all those things that are, that are so important. You, you, you're, you're done. You're confined to this colony. Your life is over. And this one, he got it. He understood the depravity, that he was dead, that he was a dead man walking, but Jesus gave him back his life. Now, Grace on the Nine, they probably ran home and, and, they, and they, were, they were celebrating with their families, which there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. That's good. But what was the better thing? It was to, was to first come and give praise to the Lord. And this one came back. It's a picture of the resurrection, that we're dead in our sins, we're dead in our trespasses, and, and the depravity. We talked about it last week with the lamb, that, that you know, we lay our hands upon the lamb, the innocent lamb who takes our sin, the guilt that we deserve is put upon this innocent animal. That we do that with Jesus, and, and he gives us life through that. In the same way, life has been given back to this, to this guy, these ten who have a leprosy, but this one he understands the depravity. He's coming back to say, Jesus, thank you. The death that I was living in, now I have life. Now I can go home and I can hug my spouse. I can hug my kids. I don't care if I have a job or not. I don't care what the implications are, but I can do the things that I couldn't do before. That's what Christ does for us. He sets us free from death. And many times we don't understand the depravity of that. We don't understand that's where we were. We don't understand the separation that, that we, there's the reality if we don't believe. Well, that's because we've grown up in the South and, and there's churches on every corner and, and there's, there's just a lot that's there that we've kind of become numb to. But if we stop and we pause for a moment, that we don't deserve anything that's been given to us. Can you imagine this man busting back into his, into his home? His family's sitting there eating dinner, and they're just looking at him like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? He's like, I'm healed, look. The joy, the celebration. But I bet this man never stopped talking about Jesus the rest of his life. Jesus set me free. I was dead, but now I've been given life. I have my family again. I have this again. It's only because of Jesus. He held nothing back in regards 
to what society was, was maybe looking for in response, what, what others were looking for in response. He came and he said, God, thank you, praise you. I fall at your feet. I fall face down before you. The question, where are we unfaithful? Where are we holding back? What areas are we holding back? Not always an easy question that we want to ask. But as we walk with Christ, we can't afford not to ask the question. To sit before the Lord and say, Lord, what areas are not honoring to you? What areas need to be healed that I'm not allowing to be? What areas am I not trusting? Do I really trust your word here? Wrestling with it at times. It's all areas of our life. And I know there's, there's fear and there's different things that, that we deal with, whether, whether it be with our families. Is, 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 is God going to take care of my family? Or, or whether it deals with something in society or it deals with something else. I want to say God is trustworthy in all these areas. If we just allow him to work in these areas. And if we will just take a moment Look in the mirror. No one really wants to look in the mirror in a lot of ways. But if we will, just look in the mirror. God will do something that will transform each and every one of us. God will do something that will transform each and every one of us. And I want us to understand this, this fall. I want us to to grasp this. That we're not just here, yeah, we did worship, hey, we, we got to see some people, but God, what are you doing to transform me? What are you doing that allows me to trust you just a little bit more? What things are you asking me to to put aside? Where are you asking me to step out of the boat? Where are you asking me to believe in greater ways? Not easy, but required. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you just for the ability to worship you. Lord, I I pray, just as we talked about, that praise will always be upon our lips. But Lord, we're also just asking the reflective question. What are we holding back? Lord, what areas are, are we unfaithful? What areas have we just not trusted you? Lord, we thank you that that you are faithful even when we're not faithful. Lord, strengthen us just to look at ourselves. Lord, if we need to be in your word more, I pray that that you just give us that desire just to consume your word, just to eat upon your word. Lord, if it's to to bask in your presence, if it's to, to come into prayer, whatever it may be, Lord. If it's to give more, to serve more, to love others, to forgive those that we have been holding on to unforgiveness, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us to do this. Lord, help us not to be as judgmental as we are, to always point to the others, well, this, it's, this person's fault, or, or, or this or that. But Lord, let us look at ourselves. Just as your word says that, let's look at the, the log in our own eyes instead of beckoning of our brothers. Lord, have your way with us. Lord, I thank you that that as you take us through this fire, there's a purification that takes place. And we honor you and we thank you for that in advance. Lord, I thank you that you're calling us as your royal priesthood to be a witness to the world around us. Thank you, Lord.
Lord, I pray a blessing over each person in this room this morning. I pray for those who aren't here this morning, whether they're, they're sick, we pray for healing, whether they're traveling, we pray for mercy, whether, it, whether it's something else, Lord. We just pray a blessing over each person, each family. Lord, bless our week as, as we come and we go. May praise be on our lips. May we be intentional with those that we interact with to point them to you. We honor you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want our prayer ministers to come forward.